On 1 Thessalonians 4, look at verse 9. I know it's perhaps for some been a long day, maybe some a long week, but may God get a hold of us in these moments, amen? Notice what he says in verse 9, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. That word love there is the sacrificial unconditional love. And it's not uh, uncommon that this subject um, has been neglected. It hasn't. Jesus taught on it. The Apostle John taught on it. Throughout the scriptures we see time and time again that to love one another is a supreme teaching. As a matter of fact, it's one of our identifications as Christians. And so it's so important to understand that this teaching has not been neglected in the life of that church. And it has not been neglected in the life of our church. We know this to be true. Even if we hear it by passing in a sermon, it kind of triggers our hearts regarding our responsibility to one, to one another. Amen? Amen? Loving one another was definitely a subject that was hammered in Scripture time and time again. Look at verse 10. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. Commendation. I love how the scriptures, every now and then, the Holy Spirit just stops and pauses and recognizes the spiritual growth in the life of a church. Amen. Thank God for that. Unlike some you know, austere leaders in the world today that no matter how much you do and how much you grow and how much you give, it's never good enough. Not with God. God recognizes growth in the life of people. And I thank God for that. And I want to just stop and say, I thank God for the love that I see bestowed in this church. Thank God for that. I mean, let's give honor where honor is due. Amen? You know, sometimes we, we hear preaching as if, you know, and it can come out you know, across like as if the church is not good enough. But I, to, I, I step back and look, I see there's some people here growing exceptionally well. Amen. And I praise God for that. Amen. I really do. I'm in awe to see the decisions of some people in this church of what they've made for the glory of God. Now, I don't know the hearts of men, but if I were to judge... Uh, you know, by the eyes of what I see and the things that have been, you know, done in the life of some people here, I can just say, this is a work of God. Not a, either I'm absolutely deceived or it's a work of God. And I believe, for the most part, in, the, in, the, in some of your lives here tonight, it's a work of God. And I thank God for that. But notice what he says here, but we beseech you, brethren. Look at this that ye increase more and more. Amen. Wow. We can all agree tonight that our love can be perfected. And it can be on the increase. It can be abounding. Amen. We can't live in the past. We must continually press forward toward the mark. We must continue to grow to love God supremely and then one another. As a matter of fact, if we don't love God supremely, we cannot love one another. Tonight I would like to address the subjects, the difference between pure, authentic love and lust. 
Tonight I would like to kind of, you know, contrast the difference because people get it confused. It can be mistaken. At times, lust can be mistaken for love. And I want you to try to, you know, apply this in every area of your relationship. In the church, husbands and wives, uh, perhaps even in the context of courting. In every area that you can think of, friendships, how that you can increase in love or your love being perfected or matured in any kind of relationship. I want you to see this. I want you to try to apply it. I know the Holy Spirit's going to do it. I said, Lord, I just want your Holy Spirit to use these several things that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, these definitions, these descriptions of love, and thrust them in the heart of your people. You do what you do best. I can only present them to you. God's going to apply them to you. And you know in what area you need to be perfected and increase and abound more and more. When we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we see a description, about 16 descriptions given to love. What love is and what love isn't. What love looks like and what love doesn't look like. 16 descriptions. So we have to understand that love, this love that we're going to be talking about tonight, is rich. It is absolutely rich in its nature. It's not just one word that is, uh, you know, um, displayed in a very sloppy way. It is manifested in a, in a rich, Christ-like, loving way. And I would say that every single person is not there yet. We're aiming to live and love like Christ. But before I do that tonight and delve into 1 Corinthians 13, I want to just get a few you know, points uh, of what is lust from Scripture. Well, how does lust look like? So we can stay away from it and then later on I'll contrast it using 1 Corinthians 13. But how's, what, what is lust? And the first definition is lust is to cover after something that is forbidden. The Apostle Paul said this, for I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet. So lust is to covet after or to desire something that's forbidden. That's number one. Number two, well, an example before I get into number two, example of that was Eve, right? She lusted after the forbidden fruit. She saw that it was good to eat and she lusted after and she fell. But number two, lust stems from a sinful heart. Have a look with me to Mark chapter 7 before we get to 1 Corinthians 13. Mark chapter 7. And uh, look at verse 20. Jesus said, That which cometh out of a man, that defileth a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murder, murders, thefts. What's that word there? Covetousness. Lust. Lustful appetites. To covet after. It's a form of idolatry. Wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and unbridled lust. Untamed, lustful desires, evil eye. Evil eye, desiring something, you're, you just want to, you're, you're just zoomed in on it. It's an evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things, he says, come within and defile a man. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you've heard it of, 
uh, that it was said of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman and lusteth after her has committed adultery where? With her where? In his heart. Lust comes out of the heart of man. If you entertain it longer than you should, you're in trouble. Uh, by the way, let me just say this by passing. We're living in a wicked world today. So a lot of people out there that are just naked almost. And they think they're wearing clothes. No, they're not wearing clothes. It's nakedness. I'm sorry. And, uh, and sometimes when you're out witnessing, you have to try to you know, ask the Lord, please, Lord, help me, even when you're not witnessing. Let me just say this. You're not responsible for the double look, uh, for the first look. But you're responsible for the double look. You know the double look? When you, next something happens to it? When you see something and you say, oh, no. Yeah, oh, no, keep walking away. You know, this is what I'm trying to say. Because if you entertain it long enough, it starts manifesting and then evil thoughts and you entertain rubbish and junk and uh, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to love your wife like you should when you're thinking about wicked things in your mind and immorality. But I guarantee you, if you don't have lust uh, in, you know, in your heart and in your mind and you're not meditating upon evil things and evil thoughts and, and you're allowing God's Spirit of God to lead you and guide you, you're going to love your wife. You're going to love her. Amen? Amen? Number three, lust is a sign of discontentment and desires more and more. It doesn't get enough. It wants more and more. It's dissatisfied. Uh, this happened, the psalmist records it with the children of Israel in the wilderness where God led them out of captivity and they were wandering in the wilderness and God gave them food to eat, but they wanted more. They wanted more. The psalmist says, and they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their what? Lust. Now you tell me, what's wrong with food? <laughs> Lusting after food. Well, they wanted more and more. Whatever God gave them and fed them wasn't enough. They'd rather and prefer the things that they had eaten in Egypt. What's this? God's brought us out of here in the wilderness to eat this? What is this? Aren't you thankful for your redemption? Like, aren't you thankful for where God has brought you? Aren't you thankful for where God will lead you? Do you understand what's coming? I don't think so. But that just exhibits a heart that's discontent. They forget the goodness of God. This is what lust is. It forgets the goodness of God. They just desire more and more. On the street yesterday, I say to people, you know God loves you. No, he doesn't. You know how many times you hear that? No, he doesn't. I said, yes, he does. He's given you those legs. Do you ever think about that, that God's given you legs to walk? You ever wonder about that? I mean, you see people walking. You think, man, it is an absolute amazing thing to see people walking. And you know who appreciates walking more? Those people that can't. And those people that are in wheelchairs. And those people that don't have any legs. I remember a football player, he got tackled, it was on the news, it was on 60 Minutes, and he actually, they actually tackled him to the point where he actually uh, ended up paralyzed. They, they put him head first to the ground, ended up being in the wheelchair, and praise God, God allowed me to meet him in Newcastle and give him a gospel tract. It was a blessing. But he ended up being in a, in a wheelchair. You know what he said in his testimony? He says, I don't care about football anymore. Just want to walk. Just want to walk. 
see how the basic necessities of life are an absolute, you know, everything that God has given us, by the way, is a privilege. They're privileges that God has given us. But when you desire more, that's lust. When you desire more than what God willed for you, that's lust. And it may even be good things. When you're obsessed, and that's number four, lust is obsessed with self. James says it very clearly. In James chapter 4 verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even from your lusts? That war in your members? Where, where's this fighting and where's strife and, and envy? Where, is it, where does it come from? When you see this manifested in the church or manifested in the life of a believer or in a household, where's it coming from? It's coming from the heart, from your members. It comes from your lustful appetites that haven't been subdued, tamed. Just want more and more. It's a discontented heart that is obsessed with self and never happy, never satisfied. He says, ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You're constantly living a life to get, 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 get. It's the opposite of love, where love gives, 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 gives. And we're going to see that contrast soon. He says, Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. And if you do ask, you ask amiss to consume it upon your own lusts. You don't even ask. You don't even ask God for it, but even if you did ask God for it, you know how far you're away from the will of God? That whatever you, you, know, you cry out to God for personal, lustful things. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? How far have these Christians, uh, you know, are far removed? How far? that they even have the audacity to ask God for more sinful lusts. Now, this is one of the signs of the end times. One of the signs of the end times that people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And we see it happen r rapidly. You see, the modern day movement churches today go and seek God, name it and claim it, to heap it upon their own lust. The prosperity gospel, eat your heart out, is manifested. It's almost like God is their genie and God is at their beck and call and they want, they want to demand God to tell them, to tell, you know, this is how we want it, Lord. So you come down and you bless us. That's crazy, folks. But this is the life that we are living in. Christendom, the professing Christians are just inundated with self. They're obsessed with themselves. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 and let's see what true love, true authentic love looks like. Let's have a look here. These, look, let me say this to you very clearly, brethren. There are certain subjects in the Bible that you can preach on time and time again. You can hear it week in and week out and you'll always get convicted if you love God. <laughs> this is one of them. Because you understand you haven't attained. Amen? 
So when God gets a hold of your heart, just take it from the Lord and say, God, continue to perfect this love in me because I need it to be perfected. Amen. This is one of the passages, many, many passages. You can preach on certain you know, subjects and you can say, man, oh boy. And you know what? It, you may do it. You may be doing it. You may be like we see here, but you just, God wants to increase you. More and more, he wants to. So look, let me just say this to you. I want to encourage you tonight. I want to edify you tonight. And uh, if you're not being edified and you need a rebuke, I want to leave, God, I want to leave that up to God to rebuke you in a certain area if you've been so selfish that you don't even have love. You've been drawing out, drawing out, drawing out, but never giving. I want to let God deal with you, but I want to edify the Christians here tonight. I want you to... When, if you can identify what love looks like and what lust looks like, then you can, you have, you, you know, the Holy Spirit can give room in your life to say, I'm, not, I'm stopping. Uh, uh, it, God's prompted me. I'm not going to entertain that. I'm drawing back. I'm drawing back. And that's how God, that's how you, we'll look at it in a moment, that's how you walk in the Spirit, by the way. The Spirit of God ministers to your heart. You know, you know what you should be doing. And if you continue to do something that is against God's will, against his word, or against the Spirit's uh, leading, then you are grieving God or you are quenching the Spirit in your life. So I just want to encourage you today so you can try to identify the difference between love and lust because they all, you know, it's, we can almost see, you know, some people think that if they desire something and they want it and they get it. And again, this is in the context, perhaps in courtship. I just want that person. I want that man. I want, I want that girl. And if I could just get... And, 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 and they do all the efforts that are necessary to get to where they need to. And, uh, and they say, you know, I just want to, I just want to be with you. Okay, good. Why? <laughs> so you can consume it upon your own lust. Or have an opportunity to say, I just want to love that person. I speak out of experience, by the way. When I was courting Janet, I said, Janet, why do we have to wait for so long? Can't we just go to the pastor's office and just get it over and done with so I could just be with you? She goes, well, you know, the dress. And I said, yeah, okay, I'm willing to wait. I love you, you know. I'm willing to wait. But I've asked her a couple of times, two, three times. I just want to be with my wife. Why does it take so long these days? Why do we have to do everything by tradition? Well, if you love someone, you what? Wait for them. How long did Jacob wait for? How long? Seven years. And you know what the Bible says? Those seven years, what it feel like? Like it was nothing. Why? Because the Bible says he loved her. You're willing to wait as long as it takes because you love that person and you want to be there with that person so you can love that person. Yes. From verses 1 to 3, Paul named about five spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, and giving. And he points out that without love... To exercise these gifts, they avail to nothing. Paul uses himself as an example, by the way. He says, though I speak. He says, though I have, though I bestow. He uses himself as an example. The Apostle Paul. He says, if I have all these things, yet have not love, I am nothing. In verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men 
and of angels and have not charity, I've become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. What's he saying? If I have the gift of languages and I don't have love, I'm just a noise. The demonstration of true love, by the way, is a sweet sound. Amen. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am what? Nothing. I am nothing. What's he saying here? If he had the ability to preach and prophesy, discern and you know, unfold mysteries and have faith to remove mountains, but he didn't have this virtue, then he's nothing. He's not much. What's the test of Christian character? The supreme virtue of love. And then verse 3, he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt and have not charity, he says, it profits me nothing. If I give my money away, if I feed the poor, though we, these are, these are good things, by the way, and if I give my body to be burnt and I don't have love, charity, it profits me nothing. It's worthless and vain. Can I just say something to you? That Paul is not undermining spiritual gifts or he's not undermining giving in this way. But like one of, who was it? Amy Carmichael said that, you know, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. People can do it. All sorts of things. People have natural abilities. We saw a glimpse of King Herod today, didn't he? He spoke in a, in, a, in a very eloquent way and the people marveled at the fact that this is almost God on earth. He didn't channel that you know, blessing to God. He took the glory and what happened to him? The angel of the Lord immediately smote him. Now you tell me, where did this man get such ability? There are abilities in the world. There are things that people can do. There are exceptional brains out there. But if you do not have love, it's all for nothing. Love is supreme. It is king. There will be a time where Paul says that tongues will cease. Knowledge will vanish away. Prophecies will fail. Knowledge will vanish away. But what? What, what do we end up with? Love never fails. It'll always be there. From the beginning to the end. You know, this is who God is. God is love. So Paul's not undermining spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, it's our responsibility to stir up the gift that is in us. To use it for God's glory. But it must be mixed with what? Love. Because without love, it's for all for nothing. Love is king. The word charity means loving action. Amen? Unconditional. It's a Christ-like. You see all these descriptions given in 1 Corinthians 13? You see him in Christ. You see him lived out in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's see the first one. In verse 4, charity or love suffers long. In other words, love is long-suffering. It means to be patient. It's long-suffering. It doesn't give up. It doesn't, uh, you know, uh, simply take offense. It's long-suffering. 
one of the attributes of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. God is long-suffering to usward. That means there's, there, you know, God is wanting to bear with, and we're going to see that right at the end. He bears with. Why? Because he loves people. He doesn't want to see people perish. And so it's long-suffering. What's love? Love is impatient. It's irritated, easily offended, holds grudges. You know what Peter said? Have fervent love among yourself, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Long-suffering. Next one is to be kind. What is that? Love is kind. Charity is kind. Speak courteous, thoughtful, caring. It means to be gentle and generous. What's lust? It's rude and obnoxious. I'm just going to fly through these. Number three, envies not. Love does not envy. Uh, envy has a strong burning zeal of coveting. And that leads to complaining or murmuring. And it also leads to a competitive spirit. That's what we saw in all these four different points by the way of introduction. But love is content. Look, love desires to see the best in others. Uh, uh, actually, thanks God that other people are being blessed. Doesn't envy in, in a sense where they pout or they uh, just perhaps even blame God and say, how come I'm not blessed like these people or that person? Doesn't, listen, love doesn't have an evil eye. It's single. And so lust has a competitive spirit and it stems from carnality. If you look at chapter number three, Paul says, for yet you are carnal. He says, whereas there is among you envy, strife, division. Where does that come from? Lust. That war in their members. And then have a look at number five. It's not puffed up. No, sorry. Number four. It vaunteth not itself. Verse four. In other words, it's modest. It's modest. It's pure. It's genuine. Love does not boast. It doesn't parade itself. Listen, it doesn't take note. It doesn't glory in their accomplishment. Love does not seek the glory. In other words, it doesn't keep a record. Lust, however, <coughs> notes down everything that you've done for a person. Number five, it's not puffed up. Love is not pride-filled or haughty. Love is humble and it cares. It desires to encourage others for their sake and not for ego's sake. There's a, this love is authentic. Lust has a big head where love has a big heart. Paul the Apostle says to the Corinthians, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Number six, does not behave itself unseemly. Love is good and proper. Love is not unbecoming or unfitting or out of place. It's not in inappropriate. It behaves itself proper. In other words, love has respect. Lust is disrespectful. It's disrespectful. Number seven, seeks not her own. Love doesn't seek her own. It's not self-seeking. 
It seeks the well-being of others. It esteems others better than self. Where lust is self-centered. Again, it's obsessed with self. Number eight, it's not easily provoked. Love is calm, peaceful, patient. It's not easily threatened. Love is sober. I like what Barnes says about someone that he exhibits this love. He's regarding uh, not easily provoked. He said, it is, he is calm, serious, patient, and looks soberly at, at things, all things. And though he may be injured, yet he governs his passions, res restraint, temper, subdues his feeling. Where lust reacts and overreacts. Number nine, thinks no evil. In other words, love doesn't think immoral things, uh, wicked things. It ponders upon what is wholesome, healthy, right, loving, lovely, good report. Love does not judge unlawfully. Doesn't think evil. In other words, it's not always judging men's motives. Love gives the benefit of the doubt where lust imagines the worst and jumps to conclusions. Number 10, it rejoices not in iniquity. Love rejoices not in iniquity. In other words, love takes no pleasure in sinful activity. Love does not joy in the things that are ungodly. Love does not encourage wickedness. Love is not deceitful. Love does not in any way, shape or form excuse sin. But lust does. Lust doesn't only excuse sin, but listen, it makes excuses for sin. It doesn't take responsibility. Number 11, love or charity rejoices in truth. It takes pleasure in honesty, integrity, in God's word. It's not biased or partial. Where lust resists the truth and shows partiality. Number 12, bears all things. Love seeks to forgive and forgive and forgive. How many times in a day? What is it? 70 times 7 in a day. Amen? Yeah, amen. It endures under and suffers under pressure. It bears all things. Love doesn't give up, but it continues to love, continues to forgive. Listen, lust is shallow and easily gives up on others. Doesn't try, doesn't persevere. Just easily writes people off. 13, love or charity believes all things. Believes all things. In other words, it has faith in truth. Love gives, again, the benefit of the doubt. Love gives room for growth. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you like someone to give you room to grow? Wouldn't you like that? Instead of jumping on every little thing and trying to catch you out. By the way, that's not love. That's just, that's self-righteousness. You know, lust is temperamental, unreliable, 
cannot be trusted. Just like the weather. Changes all the time. Number 14, love hopes all things. Hopes in God's will. Hopes for God's best. And hopes in the Lord. Has hope for others. Wants to see others succeed and excel. It has hope. Where lust is, listen, hopeless. Hopeless! There's no hope. That's it. Always cynical and critical. Just hopeless. 15. Endures all things. Love, charity, endures all things. It's faithful. It keeps on. It's committed. Perseveres. Doesn't give in. Doesn't give up. It's committed. Where lust is unfaithful. Unfaithful. What does the Bible say about the unfaithful man? It's like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Cannot depend upon it. Brings pain. That's what lust is. But you know, the opposite is true. Love brings about a refreshment. When, you, when someone loves on you, your spouse, when they, when, they, when they just endure with you, put up with you in a very loving way, I don't know about you, but that's refreshing. That is absolutely refreshing, to say the least. And by the way, that's how God forbears with us. God forbears with us, and, 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 and God forbear with who? The Apostle Paul? And the Bible says that he was the first fruits of God's grace and mercy. And we ought to forbear one another in love. That's not just put up with, with a bad attitude. That's hoping all these things that we just saw. We want others to excel and grow. We hope God's best for their life. We do not in any way, shape or form want to see someone crumble. Someone disqualified. Someone fail. That's not love. That's lust. And it prides itself when it sees someone fail because it lifts themselves up. That's lust, my friends. That's not love. Charity never fails. Never fails. Love never fails. In other words, it doesn't give away. It doesn't drop off. True love, authentic love, will always... Conquer. How did God conquer you? How did God draw you? By love. I could not believe. When I, heard, when I heard the gospel and saw the cross that day, I could not believe. I believe it, but you know, I was blown away, flabbergasted. I could not believe that there was a God in heaven that was willing to forgive someone like me. And not only forgive me, but save me and work in my life and use me for his glory. That, that's, that's love. And like the psalmist, we can't comprehend it. That will God, the God of this universe, as we sit as, we sit as I stand on this little speck of dust in the universe... 
God sits in the heavens, so insignificant we are, we are nothing but dust, and God looks down and wants interest in your life. Yeah. That's love. Lust is... <laughs> almost spits in God's face and guess what happens he still loves them and he's long suffering can you believe that Judas among the twelve that Jesus would serve him and minister to him even knowing what he was going to do how, how would you listen if you had foreknowledge like that and you knew someone was going to not deny you, but betray you and put a knife in your back, would you still wash their feet? <laughs> wow. What kind of love is this? Authentic, out of this world kind of love. And that's the love that God wants you to have for your spouse and for your brother and your sister in the Lord. All these, are all these, hey, bear in mind, listen, love is not on the expense of truth. Love doesn't rejoice in evil. Love re does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in what? Truth. That's in there. I thank God that that's in there. It's not sloppy. It still has, you know, character. So let's not throw that out the window and say, don't worry about that person. No, we, you know, but it forbears. And I've always encouraged this church, listen, the door is always open for those people that we want to reconcile with. Always open. Never shut the door. Never shut the door for reconciliation. But it has to be according to God's truth. We can't throw that out the window. I'm not preaching on that today, but I, need, I believe I just needed to say that. Because God's love is not sloppy. It has character. It has integrity. Listen, it's sober. But at the very same hour, it is loving to no end. It doesn't throw a nose up. It's humble. It's meek. It wants to receive. It wants, to do, it wants the best for that person. Look, listen, in the context, you're not going to get this in the world. In the context of courtship, in the context of meeting a spouse, when the man seeks after a woman, he does all that he can to what? Woo her. <laughs> Is that true? Flowers, chocolates, whatever. You don't have to have those things, but he can do it in his own way. What's he trying to do? He's trying to win her heart. Or he's trying to say, I love you, I want to be with you. This is my token of love. Now, you can do it in a lustful way and you can do it in a loving way. You know how the world teaches you? Listen very carefully, young people. The world teaches you to do it in a lustful way. Not in this way. Just recently, I uh, was very curious. I've been on the platform before. Uh, and just for my own education and interest to see what's going out on out there, we used to have a book called Men Are From Where? Venus or Mars? Mars and, and women are from Venus. And in there they show you all humanistic things 
that are just unbiblical. And my, one guy gave it to me, and, uh, and it just shows you how to be cunning. Well, now they're even more cunning. And they're, they're out there in the open and displaying their, their, their lustful uh, intentions. And so I went and had a look and wanted to see what's out there. And so I came across a man that calls himself a dating teacher. Don't have to use his name, it's okay. But he calls himself a dating teacher. He's an expert in dating. And he says, my, he says this, this is the subject. Now, <laughs> I wouldn't encourage you to go YouTube it, but please. The last time I said a movie ruined my life, I wish I didn't mention it. I had all these young people from the church go watch it. And it was the worst wicked movie you can ever watch. Ruined my life. So don't go and just, you know, type this in. But mind games that make a woman miss you badly. That was the subject. Mind games that make a woman miss you badly. In other words, if you, if you, if you listen to him, want you more. Don't, this is the first thing. Don't, don't show that person that you're needy. So number one, he says, and I quote, do not respond straight away to her text messaging. Let her hang for a while. So what's he trying to teach the people? By the way, this is not only in the world, this can come actually from the flesh. And God will never honor a relationship that plays games with people's souls. Never. Never ever. See the text? Oh, if I pick it up, if I respond straight away, she'll think I'm needy. I'm going to just make her miss me a bit and just hang. And she's, you know, you know what's happening at this point? She's excited. He's selling his books. He, oh, she's just hanging, waiting for your text message. Now, don't wait four hours. Don't be silly, he says. Just maybe 15, 20. Let it, give it time. What's that? He's teaching you how to be deceitful and lustful. How to get someone to miss you badly. Second of all, he says, when you're on the phone, when you get that time to talk on the phone, you know, you're beyond texting. If you're beyond texting, that's good. You want to aim to talk on the phone. When you're on the phone, be the very first one to hang up and say goodbye. Don't stay on the phone like you're needy and you just want, you don't want to get off. Oh, oh. <laughs> I didn't want to get off speaking to Janet. She always wanted to get off. She said, I don't like talking on the phone. I want to see someone when I'm talking to them. She wasn't doing that so she could woo me. She just didn't like talking over the phone. She said, I like talking to people face to face. Well, I used to sleep on the phone. <laughs> that was me before. And thank God he helped me, gave me a wife that helped me. Praise God. But he said, you be the very first one to hang up. Oh, you want to go? You need to go? Yeah, I've got to go. I've got to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then it puts a desire for her to continue to talk to you. She wants to talk. She can't wait for the next phone call. But if you just hang and she goes and you keep calling, it's just like, oh, this guy's a pest. No, no, no. You, you, want, her, you want to get her to just think about you, you know. I think, oh. Now, do you understand what's taking place here? Listen, this can take place in any relationship. This can take place in any relationship. In a work environment, listen very carefully, in a church setting amongst brethren and husband and wives, it doesn't have to be in the context of courtship. You have an argument, she's trying to get a hold of you. Yeah, 
That's not good, is it? But you're not doing it to woo her, you're just, gonna, you're just doing it to show her. Is that love or lust? Think about that for a moment. This is devilish. This wisdom is not from above. Okay, and then he gives it induced, he calls it FOMO or something. Induced FOMO, the fear of missing out. Send her pictures of you somewhere you know, in a nice place enjoying yourself on your own and she'll desire, I wish I was there with him. Put it on social media so when she looks at your social media, she can see. Man, you're enjoying your life without her. Isn't that crazy, folks? That's crazy. That's manipulation, eat your heart out. That's lust. That's flesh. Number three, see her once or two times a week. Leave room to see other women. Keep your options open. Don't commit to her. As soon as you make the commitment, you, you want her to commit to you. There you go. Talking about reversing God's order. Right there. No, it's the man that goes after the woman. That's God's order. And he's going after her to love her and marry her and spend his life with her. Listen, serving her. All the days. Of, and if you think it's anything else, my friend, then you're all in trouble. You're in trouble. Don't get married. Amen? Yep. So I can sum some of these things here in one word, state, you know, just one word. Fleshly. Narst, n what, what's that word? Narcissistic? What is it? How do you pronounce it? Yeah. Lustful. Flesh. Devilish. That's all of it, my friends. And that's how you know. When, you do, when you're playing games like this, you are not loving at all. You are in the flesh, self-consumed, and you are not loving the way God wants you to love that person. Lust versus love. Listen to this. Lust is selfish while love is selfless. Lust protects self while love prefers others. Lust is infatuated while love is sacrificial. Lust is desperate while love is patient. Lust worries and frets while love waits. Lust brings depression while love brings joy. Lust acts by emotion only while love is led by action. Lust wears out over time. Love never fails. Lust desires self-glory, but true authentic love seeks to glorify God. And the world doesn't know anything about that, but we should. We should. You know, lust is the product of the flesh. But love is the product of the Spirit of God. I want to close with this. Go to Galatians 5 and we're done. Galatians 5.
Look at verse 16. Look what the Apostle Paul says to the Galatians. He says, This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the what? Flesh. For the flesh, look at this, lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. So there's a constant battle taking place. The flesh wants its way, and God, through the Spirit of God in your life, wants His way. Who are you going to yield to in that hour? Because the temptations are real, and they're there. And as I said before, the temptations is not necessarily sin, it's yielding to the temptation. It's fulfilling that lust, that wicked thought, that wicked motive, that immoral thinking. It's yielding to it where I can just say, no, I'm not going to do that. The Spirit of God has prompted me. I'm going I'm I'm to just come under. I'm going to come under the Spirit of God and I want God to lead me. And you know what? That's, that, there's an art to that because you can be in and out of the Spirit throughout the day. And you know what? You can tell the difference. Just the little frustration that you may have because remember, love is not frustrated. If you have a little frustration in your heart towards your wife or your kids, you need to come and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. At that hour, at that moment, that's walking in the Spirit. If you've failed, a bad thought comes in your mind. Discontentment, murmuring, complaining at that hour, at that moment. Don't leave it. Don't let it go. There's a battle taking place. And the longer you leave it, the harder it gets. Your day gets worse, I guarantee you. You live in the flesh, more lust. Prayer's not going to do it. You're not going to pray in the Spirit of God unless you come and you confess your sins. For God delights in the prayer of who? The upright. The upright. One that is sensitive to his sin in the Spirit of God. His job to show us when we're fleshly. It's not irritated. I'm, going, I'm just going to the, so, you know, to the minute kind of sins of the Spirit attitude. Because we should be beyond I mean, brethren, honestly, for the most part here, we should be beyond, you know, some evident sins in our lives. Now, you say, what do you mean? Uh, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. I mean, come on, you, 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 if you're going to be grumpy and you're going to have a bad attitude and you're going to wait to the next day to get it right, man, don't, don't leave it that long. You know, you know, you've always heard it. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with your brethren. Listen, keep short accounts with your spouse. Don't leave it long. You can't, look at, none of us in this room can afford to be walking in the flesh. It's just a downward spiral from there. We must continue to walk in the Spirit of God. And when we walk in the Spirit of God, we're sensitive to sin and we're willing to confess and we're willing to say, not my will, but thine be done. Work your love in my, I don't always have to have my way. I can yield to some things. I can. They're contrary, the Bible says, one to another. I can yield to some things that is, I'm not compromising my faith 
or my walk with God, I can, I can, I don't have to always, I can yield, I said, no problem, no worries. Look at verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Look at this. Which are these? What are they? Adultery. Whoever looks upon a woman and lusts after her in his heart is committed adultery, right? Okay. Fornication. Uncleanness. There it is there. Lasciviousness. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Which is contentions. Emulations, which is jealousy, wrath, strife, seditions, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And such a like, of the which I tell you before, and as I have also told you in time past, that we, but they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So in other words, this is not characterized by a child of God. These ought not to be in your life. These are the work of the flesh. You cannot, if anybody in this room is living in these things, how does the spirit of God dwell in you? You can fall into these things, but you can't live like this. And claim to be a Christian? You can't. If you walk in darkness and claim that you have fellowship with God, and you walk in that, you lie and you do not the truth. But look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. There it is. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such thing there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and what? Lusts. So when we have trusted Christ as our Savior, we're crucified with Christ. We received Him as our Savior. We died there. And all our lustful ambitions, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, we do not want, we are victorious faith is the victory we are we're overcomers in Christ so in other words God wants to perfect us listen we're not dabbling in sin we're actually growing in love that's maturity maturity because if you're constantly dabbling with sin then how is the love of God going to be perfected in your life there's no room to grow And so, we continue to read. I think it's important. Have a look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, then let us walk in the Spirit. Look at verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, but what? Provoking one another, envying one another. No. Let us not provoke to vainglory, envying one another or provoking one another. This is not love. This is not love. And it's not a coincidence that he puts this here 
And if we can just get rid of the chapter division and look at verse 1 and chapter number 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Look at this. Verse number 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law? Loving one another. And so this, found is, this love is found only in Christ. And only can be demonstrated by the Spirit of God. And how crucial it is to walk in the Spirit. Not only to fulfill the lust of the flesh, but listen, that the fruit of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit can be made manifest in our life. You know, when you look at the Bible and you see and you acknowledge from the deacon to the pastor to the Old Testament leaders and yes, even those able men that Moses have, the scriptures always zoom in, not on ability, but on character. Always. Ability's there, it's God-given. But God's going to measure us one day, not by the gifts or the abilities or even the natural abilities that He's gifted us with, that we should work you know, hard in, in, in manifesting. God, we're not going to be judged for what God has given us. We're going to be judged with how faithful we've been to God in using them. But listen, on our character. On our character. More than anything else. You mark it down, read your Bible, cover to cover. God is more concerned about character than the ability to be able to preach. King Herod can preach. Joyce Meyer can preach. Yeah. Well, at least we can say they have the gift of the gab. They don't preach, but they have the gift of the bab. They could talk. I could talk. But listen, if I don't go and live my life like Christ wants me to live it in authentic love, then all this thing is vain and mundane and worthless and a waste of time and a noise in God's ears. That's all it is. That's all it is. Thank God for gifts and thank God for abilities that is given to the body. Everyone in his several ability measured by God's faith given to us. And may God help us to use them. Amen. Gift of giving. Praise God. But let's not do it grudgingly. Amen. Gift of service. Thank God for Martha. But let's not do it. Why murmuring? You can still serve and murmur. You can still give, but you can do it grudgingly. What, God, what does God want? Love. The sweet, savor, and salt of love mixed in our service. And I believe the classic example was the church of Ephesus did everything that God called them to do. But what did God have against them? What did God have against them? They left their first love. And I pray that none of us in this room will be guilty of that. Because you know what? If we, if we, live our, if we live, leave our first love, then how is the love of Christ going to be manifested in our life to channel out to others? Our service will be dry as a biscuit. Distasteful. Won't last long. 
at all. Lust versus love. It's your choice. You can continue to live for self or you can, you can continue to live or you can start living and continue to live for the glory of God and for others. What a hard... I mean, let's be honest. It's difficult, isn't it? Because by nature, we are selfish people. And the fight that we're fighting is not only out there, it's not, in, it's not only in the world against this wickedness that we see that is tempting us. The fight is us. And we carry this body everywhere we go. The flesh is constantly with us. And we must allow God to win the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Well, the decision is up to you. It's who you yield yourself to. And this is a day-to-day -day denying of self. Jesus said, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And let me say this to you. There's no following Jesus if you don't pick up that cross. And that cross is always bore for others. A lot of people say, oh, I'm carrying my cross, poor me. No, 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 it's not your cross. The cross that Jesus carried was for others. He carried that cross, listen, for who? For us. If you want to follow Christ, then you pick up your cross. That cross is to live for others. God wants you to walk in his footsteps. And so if you want to follow Christ, you pick up. There's no, if picking up the cross, you won't follow Christ. And there's no way that you're going to pick up that cross if you do not deny yourself. Self-denial is one of the hardest things as Christians. I mean, I could, listen to me. By God's grace, I can preach and I can teach and I can go out and soul win. And by God's grace and ability, I could do that. But that, you know what's harder? Self-denial. That's testimony. For Charlie to deny himself is harder than to go out and preach the gospel. May God help every one of us here tonight to make sure that our service for God is mixed with his love that would be a sweet-smelling savour to God. Amen? Walk in love. Walk in love as he had loved us and gave himself an offering and sacrifice for us. May God help us walk in love. Not in lust, but in love. Let's pray.